Let's get into God's Word this morning. Uh, in John chapter 5, let me uh, preface what we're going to talk about by uh, introducing it in, in, in this wise. Have you ever been asked an odd question? By odd, I mean a question that uh, you didn't expect somebody to ask you, uh, and kind of it seems an unusual question. Uh, I came across this one that's more of a teaser than anything else, but it's an odd question nonetheless. Think about this. If you are intentionally trying to fail and you succeed, which one have you accomplished? Have you failed or have you succeeded? My favorite odd question of all, this one most of the times is asked by wives, now not all wives, but some wives, including the one that's sitting in the front row who's been married to me close to 42 years. I've heard this odd question often. Here it is. Are you going to wear that? And I told my, no, I'm not going to wear this. What made you think I'm going to wear this? I just went into the closet and just, boom, it just attached itself to me. I wasn't planning on wearing this. But it, like I'm already wearing it, but I get asked, are you going to wear that? Now that's wife language. That simply means I don't like that. But they don't like to say it that way. So they say simply, are you going to wear that? The wise husband that wants to make 42 years of marriage will instantly strip naked and say, honey, whatever you want me to wear, I'm going to wear. Not all the time. But anyway, odd question. Jesus, in this chapter, it records an odd question that the Lord asked that we're going to talk about here today. So John chapter 5, I'm going to read the first of 15 verses. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well. Stop sinning or something even worse 
may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. All right. So this text centers around an event that took place by the pool of Bethesda. Uh, the word Bethesda means, by the way, house of mercy. And the Bible tells us that there were crowds of sick people that gathered around this pool, people who were lame, people who were blind, uh, people who were paralyzed, people that had all forms of sicknesses or diseases gathered around this pool. In our text, maybe you might realize this depending on what translation you read of the Bible you read from, you will notice that there is no verse 4. And that's because in many of the manuscripts, uh, there is no verse 4. But there are some that do carry a verse 4. And uh, I want to read to you the translation because it tells us why these people were gathered by the pool. In the King James Version, it says in, uh, in chapter 5, verse 4, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So now we get the, 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 a fuller picture that traditionally what had happened was uh, a, an angel would come down and the people would know that an angel had come down because suddenly the pool would begin, the water would begin to stir. So they knew that there was an angel who had come down and, and began stirring the water. And the first individual into the pool while the water was stirring was instantly healed. So everybody was gathering by the pool just waiting for this water. And one of those that was gathered there was this individual that the Bible tells us he had some form of sickness for 38 years. Uh, the word sickness that we have in, uh, in, in our translation, other translation has invalid. In other words, he, one of the disease he had or sickness he had, it caused him to have a, a great weakness in his limbs so that he could not walk properly or anything. As you could see, he didn't have anybody to help him, nor could he help himself to get into the pool. The Bible tells us now that Jesus saw him and he knew his story. Remember, the Lord knows everything about all of us. So he knew that this man had been this, in this condition for 38 years. 38 years he had been in this condition. So he approaches the man and he asks what is titled, in our, our sermon is titled this, he asks an odd question. Would you like to get well? Now, it's an odd question because obviously the guy has been an invalid for 38 years. He is gathered beside the pool that promises healing to the first one that's in there. He indicates that he wants to get in, but he can't get in. So he obviously uh, didn't expect Jesus to ask that question. Uh, and he's there hoping to, he, to be healed. Why wouldn't he want to be healed? The man responded, by telling the Lord, I just don't have the strength. I can't. I don't have the strength. I can't do it myself, and I don't have anybody to help me, to pick me up and get me into the water first. In other words, he's telling the Lord, I'm in a hopeless 
situation. I'm here, but it really is hopeless for me to be healed. And then the Lord suddenly now declares that he's healed. Tells him to get up and to walk. Take your mat and go. And the Bible says instantly this man is healed. Now that didn't please the religious leaders because it was the Sabbath. And the man picking up his mat implies that he's working and, and the Jews were not allowed to work on the Sabbath. So they were upset with the man and he responded by saying, hey, the guy who healed me just told me, pick up your mat and walk. So that I just that's what I did. And of course, he didn't know who it was because Jesus had slipped away. But notice Jesus found him in the temple later on. And he told him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen. That indicates to us that whatever he suffered from as far as uh, being sick, what, whatever affected his muscle structure, whatever physically was in, in, in inhibiting him was a direct result of him sinning and disobeying God. Now, let's make the connection for you and I here today. Interestingly, this is now the third miracle that John records in his gospel. And this miracle serves as a beacon of hope for all of us. Because I would submit to you that to one degree or another, we are all represented by this invalid in our text. This individual who dealt with some situation physically that impacted his life. Now for us, remember, we always look at the Bible and we read things that are physical, but they have a spiritual application. And notice the Bible tells us that around this pool, there were people who were blind, there were people who were lame, and there were people who were paralyzed, who totally couldn't move. All of these different forms of diseases or illnesses, impediments, and what they symbolize for you and I, what this man symbolizes for all of us is that we can have, be spiritually blind. We can suffer from a spiritual lameness where we're walking with God, but we are hampered for, to one degree or another. Or we can be totally, absolutely paralyzed, unable to make any progress in our spiritual journey with the Lord. And some of us, like the man in our text, we've been dealing with that for some time. This man was dealing with his affliction for 38 years. Some of us may have something in our life that has been a part of our life for a long, long time. Notice that some of us are like this man in that we don't have any strength to help ourselves. We tried everything possible and we are at the end of our rope in that we know I can't help myself anymore. I can't fix what's wrong with me anymore. I have tried, I have tried, I have tried, and I have no more strength to try. Totally hopeless in that specific area. Now, some of us will look at this and we need to look at it that it might be a result of sin, like the man in our text. 
In other words, there are things that hinder our life that are a direct result of sin. Not everything, but there are some things in our life that we are dealing with that are a direct result of sin. Let me look at the, the world's oldest deception from Satan. Go right back to Genesis in chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. Verse 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat of it even, or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, here's why I read that. This is the oldest deception of Satan, which is still in operation to this very day. And to break it down in a simple form, it deals with the lack of understanding when it comes to disobeying God. Where God tells us there's going to be a consequence of, from your sin, but the devil comes and says, you won't have any consequences. That is the oldest deception of the devil where he deceives us into thinking there won't be any bad or negative consequences to your disobedience. Do what you want to do. Nothing is going to happen. I mean, think about the man in our text. Can you imagine if he, if, if he could uh, reverse or go back 38 years and, and, and he would look at whatever his sin was. The Bible doesn't tell us. But whatever his sin was, it resulted in him being an invalid for 38 years. Do you think he would have sinned had he known that? Do you think he would have still said, well, I want this sin so bad. I'm going to be an invalid for 38 years or the rest of my life. I don't care. I want what I want. Probably not. You see, the issue that I've discovered over the years is this old deception is very much active and alive today in all of our lives. Uh, looking at my own history with drug addiction, nobody ever starts using drugs believing they're going to get addicted. We think the opposite. I thought the opposite. Even though I saw all of my friends that I hung out with, every one of them one by one got addicted, I still said to myself, it won't happen to me. See, that old deception. I'm different. There won't be any consequences to my sin, to the action that I'm taking. And many times we go into something and, and we believe this deception that I can sin and get away with it and not have any consequences. And the thing is, we don't know where our sin will take us. 
Right? In Proverbs, it talks about a young man who was just walking and strolling on his day, and he saw a woman, a married woman, and she saw him, and she comes out of her home and said, hey, my husband's away, you know, and he took his, his wallet, was full of money, so he's going to be gone a long time. Come in my house, and let's enjoy ourselves. But he doesn't know that it's going to cost him his life. See? He always thinks. I won't get caught. It won't happen to me. Consequences, you see. We just don't think that it's going to happen. This man certainly didn't think it was going to happen. And I pray that one of the things we learn today that the Holy Spirit makes so real to every single one of us is that God would help us to avoid the pitfall of this deception. That we can sin and not deal with any consequences. And may I add that not all consequences come immediately, right? Sometimes we think we did get over because nothing happened immediately, but we never know. We never know what's going to happen. Uh, when you, if you plant the seed of sin, it will sprout out. And the Bible says when sin is full grown, it always gives birth to death. So may God help us to avoid this deception. Now, back to our text. Jesus asked this odd question. Would you like to get well? Why would Jesus ask such a question? What was in the heart of the Lord? What was he after in asking this odd question? I've considered it, and there are a couple of thoughts that I'd like you to consider this morning as to why Jesus asked this odd question. The first thing I believe that came to my heart that I'd like you to consider is this. Perhaps the Lord wanted him to verbalize his desire to be healed. Now, what do I mean by that is this. In order for me to acknowledge that I need healing, I also, by default, have to acknowledge that I'm in a place where I'm sick. In other words, let me break it down even more for us so that we understand. In order for me to say, God, I need you to heal me of this anger problem that I have, well, that means I have to confess that I have an anger problem. For me to get free from drugs, I had to confess I'm a drug addict. For us to get free, God, I, I, I want to get free from this addiction to pornography. Well, you first got to acknowledge you have an addiction. You know, there are times where even as God's people, we like to live in the shadows. And we don't like to verbalize things. Because once it's out there, we feel like the whole world is going to know. And so we want to stay in the dark. I can tell you the first step that I took towards my deliverance from drugs came in a church setting. I was in a prayer meeting uh, the night of the church. I just showed up. And the first time in my life that I stood up before anybody, and this happened to be the church people that knew me well, and I said, I need prayer. I'm a drug addict. That was the first words that came, ever came out of my mouth, came in a prayer meeting. And I was afraid to say that because I was fearful of what people would think about me. 
You know, even when you're dealing with an illness, a sickness, a disease, as a result of sin, the biggest sin you have is pride. But you don't want to come forward and acknowledge that you're where, where you're at, you see. But confession is good for the soul. There's a humility that comes into place when we're willing to acknowledge, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling. God, I, I've been dealing with this thing for over 30 years, and I haven't gotten the victory. God, I need Deliverance. I need healing here, God. The second thing I'd like you to consider is that sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes, we don't really want to get well. As crazy as that sounds, we would rather live with the pain of our sickness or disease. I, I keep talking that, but I want you to know I'm not talking about something necessarily physical, but I'm talking about what the impact that it has also spiritual in our life. We'd rather live uh, limping than to go and get healed because we've been limping for 30 years. It's like an old friend. And remember, we all have this thing called a sinful nature that loves to sin. It's natural to sin. And there are some times we don't want truly to be healed. One time I was crying out to God over my drug addiction. And I said, God, how come I'm not healed? And here's what God told me so clearly, the way you're hearing my voice. God said, it's because you don't want to be healed. You like getting high. And when those words came to my spirit, it was like an arrow. I was never willing to admit that. And I told God, you know what, God? You're right. As even though I know my friends have all died from overdose, and I'm on that pathway, and I know I'm on that pathway, I'm destroying my life, I know it, but yet there's a part of me that very much loves what I do. I like the feeling that I get, even though I know it's temporary. Even though, as I talked last week, I, I'm going to need more afterwards. I know all that, but I still want it. That's how destructive our own heart can be. I believe Jesus was asking this man a question. I want to make sure, do you really want to get well? Do you really want to break that habit? Do you really want? To see God do what only God can do. Because see, sometimes we don't like, it's not only do we like our sin, but we know if God breaks that sin, now we're into a whole new world of responsibility. Now we have to, a whole new world of accountability. And for some of us, we'd rather know, I'd rather stay away from that. You see. Many years ago, uh, precious, precious man of God who was a missionary to Africa at some point in his life. He followed in his father's footsteps and he shared this illustration 40 years ago now that I've never forgotten. It was about some of the traps that we can fall into. And he said, in Africa, they have a unique way of catching a monkey. They will get a jar and tie it to a tree. 
and they'll put a banana in it. And the monkey will see them putting the banana in, and he will come in, and he will stick his hand into the jar to grab the banana. The thing is, the opening of the jar is just big enough to get his hand in, but once he makes a fist, he can't get it out. And then, once he does that, they calmly walk over with a club. And the monkey will scream and jump, but he will never let go of the banana. And he said, in the end, because he refused to let go of the banana, it cost the monkey his life. That was that monkey. I didn't want to let go of my drug addiction. I love to do drugs. And it almost cost me my life. And by the grace of God and the mercy of God, my life was transformed. I talked to a young man once who was living on the streets, dealing drugs as far as taking drugs and everything, ruining his life. His parents finally found him and brought him to see me. And I asked him this question. Do you want to be free from this addiction. You want God to turn your life around. And he said, yes. I said, okay, here's what it's going to take. I'm going to get you into a Christian drug program. We're going to invest a year in that program. And when you come back, by the grace of God, you'll never touch drugs again. He goes, I got to go away for a whole year? I said, you're living in the streets now. You don't even know when your next meal is going to come from. It's a year investment in your life to be drug-free. And you know what his response was? I'd rather go back to the streets. And he did. And I never saw him again. I hope he has found God somewhere in his journey. But see, what I have discovered is we're all in that place in that there's a part of us that we know is not right before God that's hindering our spiritual journey, that, that holds us back from making the progress we ought to be making in God, but it's still there, and perhaps because we like it. And that's why we're not healed yet. Now, having said all that, here's the amazing part of our text. Jesus knew that this man had been an invalid for 38 years and that it was because of his sin. It wasn't that somebody did something to him or he was born that way. He had somewhere in his life, he had committed a sin and the result of that, whatever that was, he became an invalid and Jesus knew that. He was reaping what he had sown. And yet, Jesus miraculously healed him anyway. And what that is a picture of is the incredible, phenomenal mercy of God. That God, in his mercy, didn't have to heal this man. He could have looked at him and said, you are dealing with the consequences of your sin. You are reaping what you have sown. But the Lord didn't do that. He came there that day to heal that man. And may I add, he's the only man at the pool that was healed by Jesus. All the people were waiting for some stirring when Jesus was already there, the God of all stirring. 
and that he could touch them in a heartbeat and heal them. And while they're all waiting for some religious moment, if I could say that, here Jesus, the God in the flesh, is right there, and he touches this man, and the Bible says immediately he's healed. Immediately. I, there had to be crowds. Others had to see that. Why weren't others healed? Why weren't others approaching Jesus? But see, we find that this is uh, the mercies of God toward this man. And I'm reminded that the scripture says that his mercies are new every morning. Every morning his mercies are new. How many are grateful for the mercy of God in your life? I know I am. Come on, let's take a moment. Let's applaud the Lord. Applaud the Lord with me for his mercy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you for your mercy. Oh. So, worship team, if you would come back up. So now you notice, later on, Jesus finds him in the temple, which I'm so grateful that he wound up back into the temple to honor God. But notice that Jesus gave him that warning. I've touched your life. I brought healing. Make sure you don't sin again. Don't go back into that place that I've set you free from because something worse may happen. I love the Lord. He is so gracious. He is so kind. But as a loving father, he also wants us to stay on the right path. And he lets us know, I did a great thing in your life today, but I need you to continue that path. I want you not to stray now and think that because now you're healed, you can go back to your old lifestyle because then something worse might happen to you. In a moment, we're going to go before God today. The presence of the Lord is here today. And when I say here, I don't mean physically just in this room, but in your home, maybe in your car, in, the, in your bedroom, wherever you might be watching us right now. The presence of the Lord isn't limited just to one place. And he has come for one purpose. He sees that there's something in our hearts, something in our lives that has been holding us back. Something that we have dealt with and we have tried on our own. And like that man, I, we just can't anymore. I'm so happy that God's not here to judge, but to heal, but to extend a hand of mercy. And as we close in this song, here's the question that God is asking all of us here today. Would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? We can be healed today. We can be set free from whatever has up to this moment hindered our life. And it has nothing to do with us deserving it or not. Because the bottom line is none of us deserve God to do anything for us. It's all about His mercy. The Lord is here today to demonstrate His great mercy in our life by bringing healing.